Good morning, everybody. It's good to be together. Um, I wish I could have fixed some better weather for us, but um, unfortunately, that is beyond my powers. Hopefully, we will find our way through the service um, without too much stress and anxiety. Just feel free to join in at a level that is copable for you. Um, It is a holiday time, so we are doing things a bit differently, but I don't want you to go home and think you're totally a nervous wreck. That's my job, to go home and take a nervous wreck, not yours. So we're going to start by singing a song together, a song of gathering, a song of praise. Uh, It's on the sheet, and it will also appear on the screen. And if you're able, I invite you to stand with me as we sing. in Africa there. That's great. Our opening prayer this morning comes from a book called Wrestling and Resting, a book of women's spirituality and liturgy. And this prayer, or the words that lead us into the prayer, are written by somebody called Ruth Burgess. When we get together to make liturgy, we share things. No hierarchies. We are wordsmiths and storytellers, explorers of silences, music makers, singers of songs. We move chairs, create spaces in living rooms, set off fireworks in back gardens, dance in cathedrals, picnic in rain-threatening weather, float candles in baptismal fonts. When we get together to make liturgy, we rejoice with the saints and the angels, discovering our creativity, being ourselves in the image and glory of God. And so we pray. Creative God, whose image we bear, we have gathered together to make liturgy, to sing and pray, to listen and reflect, 
To make and play. To be and do. As we try new ways of worship, or as we stick with what seems more familiar, may our attention be centred on you, knowing that you accept us as we are, and that you seek to nurture us into what we might yet become, showing us new glimpses of how we may play our part in the incoming kingdom for which we now pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, We're going to have our story now. They are Bible stories, but they are in a storytelling form. And it's just possible that Bonnie or Esther or parents of small people will recognise the storyteller from CBB. So we'll see how we go. Might be good if we can just knock the lights down, I think. Thank you. Hello, Gemma. Lovely. You look frozen. (laughs) Yeah, I am cold, but it is beautiful outside. So excited to be here with my polar team. We've got so much to learn about and explore. But I'm a bit sad that you weren't with the others today pulling the sledge. We were whizzing along. Well, I thought I'd give it a miss today. After what happened yesterday. Oh, Blizz, don't worry about it. We all make mistakes. Well, thank you for saying that. But I'm always making them. And yesterday, fancy the whole sledge turning over just because when you said turn left, I turned right. It's all right. We managed to pick everything else up. Eventually. (laughs) No harm done. Yeah, but imagine what the others must think of me, letting them down. They must be so fed up with me. Oh, Blizz. Each one of them has been the youngest sled dog like you, so they'll know how difficult it is. And they would have learnt from their mistakes and got better and better. And anyway... We ought to forgive our friends when they make mistakes. Well, even when it's the same husky that keeps on making them. Yeah, whoever and however many times we make mistakes, they need to be forgiven. Now, Jesus had a friend in the Bible called Peter. And Peter asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive my friends? Up to seven times? Well, that's quite a lot, isn't it? I'd have thought "Mm, two or three or maybe four times. Well, nowhere even close. Jesus said that Peter ought to forgive his friend 70 times 7 times. Well, that's loads. That's like um, 26, 40, 490 times. But I think that what Jesus actually meant was that we should forgive our friends so many times that we're not even able to keep count. Well, I think the other Huskies have stopped counting already. They must be fed up with me. I don't think I'll ever get another chance on that team. Of course you will, Blizz. You can never lose the chance to be a part of the team. Hey, let me tell you a story from the Bible. 
It's about that man I mentioned earlier, Peter. Now, he was always making mistakes. But he was given another chance to try again. A story? I love stories. Peter sometimes spoke before thinking, and because of this, he sometimes made mistakes. When he was a boy, his dad had always told him to think before he spoke, but he often only remembered when it was too late, and had put his foot in it. As he'd grown up, though, it seemed to have worked out okay. His friends often saw him as the leader of their group, and certainly as one of the friends of Jesus, he often seemed to be at the front, asking questions, making suggestions, and generally getting things done. But one day, everything had gone wrong because he spoke without really thinking what he wanted to say. It happened like this. Jesus, Peter's best friend in the world, had been arrested and taken away. He'd done nothing wrong. Peter knew that all right. Nothing wrong, that is, unless it was wrong to help sick people become well again, or bad people become good, or everyone to feel that God was close by, not far away. Peter had been so angry when Jesus had been taken away. He tried to stop it happening, but Jesus had seemed to be prepared for it, and so Peter had slipped away into the shadows. He realised he couldn't stay there. He couldn't let his friend be taken away on his own, so Peter followed to see what would happen and whether there was anything he could possibly do. As he followed the group towards the house where Jesus was being taken, Peter ran through what he would say if he got a chance. As he thought about what he would say, he remembered that he'd once called Jesus the Chosen One of God, and Jesus had been pleased with what he had said. That's what he'd say now. He'd tell everyone who Jesus really was. And then it had happened. As Peter approached the courtyard where Jesus was, he was asked whether he was a friend of Jesus, first by a girl and then by some officials. Both times Peter heard himself say, I am not. But no matter how much he wanted to say the right thing, he just found he was too scared to think properly. Finally, a slave who had been there when Jesus was arrested asked him, Did I not see you in the garden with him? And before he could stop and think properly, fear stepped in and he heard himself blurt out something he knew he didn't really want to say, that he didn't even know who Jesus was. And then a cockerel crowed and he was reminded of something that Jesus had said to him, how Jesus had somehow known that Peter would let him down. Peter was so sad, he burst into tears and ran away. But that wasn't where the story ended. For a few days later, after Jesus had died and come back to life, Peter had met Jesus on the beach. All of Peter's friends were there too, and they had breakfast with Jesus. As they ate, Peter sensed that Jesus wanted to talk to him alone. He felt it was the time to put right what had gone wrong. He knew that he had to say something to Jesus, and as he ate, he tried hard to think of how he could possibly explain what had happened. After breakfast, Jesus walked a little way from the others and Peter followed him. Once they were out of earshot of the others, Jesus asked him if he loved him three times, almost as if to give Peter a chance to put right the three times he denied even knowing who Jesus was. This time, Peter stopped and thought hard about his answers to Jesus' questions. Eventually, he said, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. He'd never felt more sure, and he knew that Jesus forgave him for letting him down. And now here he was, about to stand up in front of a great crowd of people. It was the day of Pentecost, 
a very busy day in the town and a very special day for the friends of Jesus. As they had been praying together, there had been the sound of a loud wind blowing amongst them inside the house. Flames had appeared from nowhere and seemed to dance over the head of each person there. The whole gathering of the friends of Jesus began to praise God for giving them a special helper called the Holy Spirit, for that was what was happening. And as they did, they found that they were speaking languages they had never learned before. At the noise, the crowds of people outside had started to wonder what was going on, especially as they heard the amazing things that God was doing in their own language. What's going on? someone asked. What does it all mean? said someone else. Someone needed to say something to explain what was happening. And so it was that Peter stood up. Some of his friends possibly wondered if this was going to be a good idea, but soon they realised that God was giving Peter the words to say. As for Peter, he was as amazed as anyone. A few years ago he'd been a fisherman, quite a good one too, but never someone who ever thought that one day he'd be standing in front of a huge crowd like this, telling them stories about Jesus. It was almost like he wasn't thinking about what he was saying now, but in a different way. This time, the right words just seemed to flow from him. It felt like God was speaking through him. Peter told the crowd some of the stories of old, of Joel and David, and helped them to realise that what was happening was exactly what God promised would happen. He told them all about Jesus too, and about how they needed to be sorry for what had happened to Jesus in the end. As he spoke to the crowd, he wondered what was happening in each of them. He couldn't really tell by their faces what they were thinking, so he said to them, It's time to turn your life around and start again. We'll baptise anyone who wants a new life. Peter couldn't believe his eyes when people started to line up to be baptised, washed clean with water, to show they wanted to start their lives afresh as friends of Jesus. Later on that evening, when Peter and his friends settled down together for something to eat, Peter heard that 3,000 had become friends of Jesus that day. Wow, said Peter, smiling. God's Holy Spirit really helps us, no matter how many mistakes we make. Jesus forgave Peter and made him part of the team again, didn't he? That's right. He wanted him to know that he was still loved and could still be trusted. Makes you think, doesn't it? What does it make you think? It makes me think that I might have a second chance on the team. Yes, and a third, and a four. And a fifth, and a sixth, and a seventh. <laughs> yeah. And an eighth, and a ninth, and a tenth. Uh, okay. And an eleventh, and a twelfth, and a thirteenth. Uh, okay, stop now. Fourteenth, fifteenth, sixteenth. Uh, please. Seventeenth, eighteenth, nineteenth. How many times do you say? 490 times, so you keep counting. <laughs> I'm going to get some food. Twentieth, twenty-first... Food? Did you say food? Ah, I thought that would get your attention. Yeah! So we're going to sing again, and we're going to sing number 84 in the hymn book, a hymn about confession, repentance, and forgiveness. Dear Dear Lord, and Father of mankind, forgive our foolish ways. Please stand, if you can, as we sing together. 
So we're going to move into the part of the service now where we are invited to choose how to continue to explore this theme about forgiveness, about the endless chances that God offers us. You can stay where you're sat and listen to me talk. That's absolutely fine. And that will lead into a a creative response and prayer. Um, If you like to do something with your hands, and some people do like to do something with your hands, I invite you to go up to the creative zone on the mezzanine where we have some, uh, some canvas and some threads if you like to embroider. And some people just find it helpful to use their hands as they're, they're listening. So you can sit and sew and listen at the same time if you want to. Uh, over at the back, we have some copies of the actual scriptures, not the um, storytelling version. If you want to read those and reflect on them, we have some puzzles. We have puzzle books um, for children relating to the theme. It's expedition number one, if you're using the puzzle books. We also have some grown-up colouring. So you might want to do some of that. And again, you can listen whilst you do it. Or if you think, well, I would like to do it, but not during the service, that's fine. Just take a sheet that you can then take home. And then through in the memorial room, we have the active zone where you can go and play out to your heart's content. So we're going to have some music called Highland Winter. And during that time, I invite you, if you would like to, to move around, have a look at what's on offer and choose actively what you would like to do, how you would like to continue to worship God and explore the theme in the next 20 minutes or so. So if you'd just like to go and have a look at what's around, and um, thank you, Paul. Can a leopard change its spots? To what extent are our personalities an intrinsic part of us? And to what extent are they formed by our life experience? Can people really change? Or are there always vestiges of the old person that just emerge in times of stress or crisis or fatigue? Is it possible to go on and on, giving or being given second chances? Or must there come a time when we say enough and give up on the endeavour of redemption or rehabilitation? These are huge questions. It would take a lifetime of serious philosophical and theological contemplation to find answers to them. And yet, these are the questions to which we find some hints as we trace the story of the Apostle Peter through the Gospels and on into the story of the early church. Peter is one of the few New Testament characters in whose life we're granted more than the most fleeting glimpse. 
we know that he had a fishing business along with his brother Andrew and that he was or had been married because he had a mother-in-law. We know he was capable of incredibly profound insight, such as when he recognised Jesus as Messiah, and equally horrendous gaffes, such as contradicting Jesus when Jesus spoke of his own death. We also know that Jesus saw in him a steadfastness of character that marked him out as the obvious founder of the church, the obvious human successor to Jesus. I found it interesting, and I think it's actually quite clever, that Scripture Union chose to begin their telling of Peter's story with him asking Jesus a question about forgiveness. Peter, who we know by his impetuous nature and his constant need of forgiveness and second chances, asked Jesus how often he should forgive others. How many chances was it appropriate for Peter to give to others before he just wrote them off as hopeless or unforgivable? Seven times, that sounded like a good number. After all, seven was one of those special spiritual numbers was easy to keep count of and well quite frankly if somebody is still doing it after that many times so Jesus reply is unexpected no not seven times not even 40 times which after all would be kind of biblical code for lots of times but 70 times seven times So many times that actually you can't keep count. There is to be no end to forgiveness. No last chances, always second chances. But before we move on, we need to avoid being a little bit glib about this. We need to recognise that endless forgiveness is not the same as saying there are no consequences following on from actions, especially actions that set out deliberately to hurt or control other people. 70 times 7 does not mean that we don't report criminal activity to the police. Of course, we must. 70 times 7 doesn't mean that reparation is not required. Because of course it is. 70 times 7 is part of a process of redemption and rehabilitation. And as a result, it may necessarily involve sanctions precisely to help the offender understand the implications of their actions. 70 times 7 is anything but a wishy washy laissez faire attitude. It is a gritty, determined attitude that believes everyone, everyone has the potential for redemption and rehabilitation. That even if a leopard cannot entirely change its spots, it can at least learn how to redirect its natural inclinations in ways that are healthy and life-affirming. 
And when Jesus talks about the church as a place of endless forgiveness, he's not just talking about the huge and obvious wrongs either. Included in amongst that are the inevitable niggles, the perceived slights that can occur along the way, the things that irritate us because we don't like them, the scowls, the tuts, the noises of dropped hymn books, or whatever it might be that just winds us up. If church is a place of endless forgiveness then that will affect our attitude towards others, our attitude to each other, and perhaps especially our attitude to ourselves. I wonder how it felt to be Peter. He knew fine well that Jesus had really high hopes for him and of him. He enjoyed being part of the inner circle, granted access to the most intimate moments in Jesus' life on earth. There were those moments when his heart almost burst with pride. It seemed that finally he'd understood it. And there were the moments when he felt sick to the pit of his stomach as Jesus rebuked him for some ill-considered comment. And it would all come to a head at the critical point of the Jesus story. Peter, so close and so sure, so human and so fallible, vowed that he would stick by Jesus. He would be the rock. Even if everyone else failed, he would be there. Well, we all know what happened next. Surely this was it. Devastated by his own failure. Shocked at the ease with which lies tripped from his tongue, Peter fled. We're told that he cursed himself. That he wept tears of regret and remorse. I have a feeling if we're really honest with ourselves, that most of us at some point have been in a similar position. Something we said or did, didn't say or didn't know, has resulted in us fouling up. Chastised, perhaps disciplined, maybe. I mean, even if it seems we got away with it, deep down inside... We know we messed up or failed. Perhaps we feel utterly useless. Perhaps we beat ourselves up over and over again about something that actually now we can't change. We also know that usually whatever it is will just blow over given time. Mostly the mistakes that we make aren't so serious or so significant. But like Peter, we can be awfully hard on ourselves. Peter made mistake after mistake, and yet Jesus never gave up on him. 
He never said to him, you really ought to have this sorted by now. Jesus refused to define Peter by what he wasn't. Rather, he saw Peter's potential and he worked with him to develop that. Those self-same characteristics that got Peter into trouble could and would be honed into valuable skills. Who else but Peter the impetuous would be able to stand up and address a huge multinational crowd without any advanced preparation? Of course, the story doesn't end there. Peter would go on making mistakes and he would go on learning from them. He and the Apostle Paul would disagree as often as they agreed, if not more often. But there was never one mistake too many. Never a day when Peter said or did something that resulted in him being ejected from the church. His life came to be an illustration of the teaching that he had received from Jesus. How many times should I forgive? How many mistakes are too many? It seems to me as we reflect on Peter's story, there are lots of different directions our thoughts might go. Perhaps we do need to start with ourselves to recognise our own frailty and finitude. The mistakes that we find ourselves making over and over again. The things we do or say that are hurtful or cause annoyance. And maybe recognising that potential within ourselves will help us to be a little gentler to others when they annoy or hurt us. Or perhaps we need to start with ourselves in a different way and see ourselves as Jesus sees us. To look with a gentle gaze, not dwelling on past errors or omissions, but seeing instead how these same characteristics might be redeemed or redirected for good. Perhaps we need to be kinder to ourselves forgiving ourselves as we would forgive others. Perhaps, though, there is someone with whom we need to be reconciled. Someone to whom we might need to say, I'm sorry, or I forgive you. Perhaps we need to stop counting and keeping a record of wrongs. Perhaps, like Peter, we need to hear Jesus say 70 times 7, times without number. I'd like to think that in the end, Peter found peace with himself, learned to accept himself as Jesus had accepted him. I'd like to think he learned from his mistakes without losing the characteristics that made him who he was. And I'd like to think, too, that each of us might continue to learn and grow, forgiving 
and being forgiven as we seek to live out the faith we declare, not just in church, but in our homes, in our workplaces, and in our communities. Our response and prayer today is based on metaphors of weaving. The idea, if you like, of life as a tapestry in which different strands or colours can be brought together to create something beautiful and unique. And the wonder of a tapestry or weaving of life is that the snags and the holes and the errors are just as much part of the end result as the perfect stitches. The colour clashes are as valid as the careful tones and contrasts. On most chairs there is a copy of a prayer by Corrie Ten Boom which you're welcome to use for private prayer and then take it away with you. We also have three prayer stations, if you like, uh, three tables on which we have the opportunity to weave our prayers. Just simply, if you would like to, come forward, take a strip of paper and weave it into the mat of prayer. Nobody will know what you're praying for. It's between you and God. It might be something you need to lay down. It might be something where you feel you need help. It might be a prayer for a person or a place or a situation. And after a few minutes... I will gather those thoughts and prayers and weavings together with a prayer that is called Weaving God's Shalom. So if you wish to, you're invited to weave a prayer. Weaving God, you gather us together as multicolored fibers to weave community. You gather us together as textured strands to celebrate life in all its fullness. You gather us together as rainbow threads to spin your vision of shalom. Weaving God, we gather in community to celebrate your presence within us, to share our stories and our dreams, to offer our prayers and our concerns, and to spin the future together. Amen.
Loving God, we offer you these, our gifts of money. We also offer ourselves, the parts of us that we recognise as valuable and valid, and the parts of us that we are less sure and less comfortable about. Please accept all, shape, redeem and employ all in the building of your kingdom of Christ. Shalom. Amen. Our closing hymn is number 360 in the hymn book, Take This Moment, Sign and Space. Stand if we can. who made us as bearers of the divine image. The blessing of Jesus, who forgives us time without number. And the blessing of the Spirit, who weaves hope and love through the messiness of our lives. Be with us and with all of creation, now and always. Mm -hmm.